Amen. Let's hear it for the band. And how about that drummer putting down the missions trip hammer and picking up the drumsticks? Just rolls from one thing to the next, brother. Morning, church. My name is Travis Bond. I serve as senior pastor here. Um, Go ahead and open your Bibles up, if you would, to the book of Exodus chapter 20. Second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 20. I... I've been away a couple weeks, and I missed you guys. I'm so glad to be home. Um, It was a fantastic vacation. We're glad to be back. Um, While I was away, Pastor Carl and then Pastor Don, they just continued uh, right along in our summer sermon series through the Ten Commandments, which means that now today we are arriving, like we mentioned earlier, um, at the Fifth Commandment. Um, We've completed the first table of the law, and if you guys have been with us through most of these, then you know the first table of the law has a vertical orientation, the first four commandments are all about our relationship with God, and then you transition to the second table of the law and the last six, which are all horizontal and about our relationship with others. A big chunk of you committed back in week one or two to uh, memorizing and praying through these commandments as together we work through them. So let's do a little checkup here and see how we're doing, shall we? We'll do the short version so no one, no one is sad and feels bad. Commandment number one, say it with me. You shall have no... We were learned in that one that it's all about the who before it's about the do. That it's about who God is, which then informs and enables our ability to follow all of the commandments. Commandment number two... You shall not make an engraven image. And that's what, that one's about not now just who we worship, but how we worship. God said, I, hey, I got stipulations around how I want to be honored. And one of those things specifically is you don't make representations of the God who is there because even the best repu- re- representation, it will capture some of whom God is, but it will diminish other parts of who God is. And we come to commandment number three, which is... You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And Pastor Carl preached on that one, and I listened to that. It was a good sermon. It's reminding us that we're not going to use God's name flippantly around here, right? We're just not, not going to be a church that just says, oh, my God. We're not going to connect God and damn together. We're going to be careful to honor the name of God because that informs so much else about our lives and the way that we and the church and Christ is viewed in our culture. Even, even a word can have a big impact on our spirituality. And then last week, commandment number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God gave us this one day to look different than the other days. So we rest and we worship and we fellowship with the saints and we just treat it differently than the other days. Um, So all of that, first table, that now brings us to the second table. Moms, dads, everyone, say it with me. Commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. Um, I don't know how many of you would have seen the Barna study. Uh, this is a pretty big, you, guys, you probably have to read like Christian blogs or maybe Christianity Today, but within kind of church world, this was a fairly large study. It was released just Tuesday. Um, you can Google it le- later. The most post-Christian cities in America. Um, so in this study, to be defined as highly 
post-Christian, an individual had to meet 13 of 16, at least 13 of 16 criteria. Um, these were criteria like do not believe in God. Um, I self-identify as atheist or agnostic. I disagree that faith is important in my life. Disagree that the Bible is accurate. Have not donated money to a church in at least the last year. And on it goes, all of these different criteria. Um, the study, it didn't rank so much individual cities, the way that we tend to think of them, but more uh, metropolitan regions all over the country, a hundred of them. Um, uh, Anybody want to guess the top most post-Christian region in America? I heard a few. Well, here's the answer. Portland to Auburn, Maine, that corridor there, number one. Number two, Boston up to Manchester. Number three, Albany, Schenectady, Troy, New York. Number four, Providence, Rhode Island, up to New Bedford, Mass. Number three, Burlington, Vermont. Number four, Hartford, New Haven, Connecticut, Corridor. I found this fascinating. All this time, we thought it was the West Coast that was so kooky. (laughs) No, they are kooky out there, I mean, really. But it turns out, of the top ten most post-Christian cities in America, five of them are in New England, and three of them are right next door in New York. And I know that I'm, I'm hitting you with this cold, but can you feel the weight of what this means for your family and your child-rearing? Can, can you think through just in these first seconds here of looking at that, the implications of this in your kids' schools and their experience on their sports teams and the universities. God has placed us, MCC, in the most strategic area of our country in our lifetimes. The fields are white unto harvest. Can I get an amen? But listen, we got to get our heads around the implications here. Because if we have any hope at all of raising our kids to know the God who is there, it's not going to happen with passive parenting. Okay? Kick, youth group, the once a year missions trip, It ain't going to get it done. All of the implications of the fifth commandment have got to inform the way that we go about lovingly, graciously, but firmly pushing back against a post-Christian culture, which we would be crazy to imagine has not already pushed in to church walls. We need to grab hold of the fifth commandment and all that it means. So let me read it. This is our text for this morning. Exodus 20, verse 12. Hear now the very word of our Lord. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. And if you kept that open on your laps, let's just go ahead and read it together now. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Amen and amen. So three point headers today, if you find them helpful. Um, 
Uh, most of our time is going to be on the first one, though. Our kids, our kings, and our Christ. Kids, kings, Christ. Um, the fifth commandment, like I said, is where it all transitions from the vertical to the horizontal, from relationship with God to relationship with others. And on the second table of law, the first priority that God handed to Moses and his people was family. Um, Plato, he got a lot wrong, but he got this right. He said the saga of a nation is the story of its families writ large. And that's right. Because all human relationships are learned first at home. Um, If you did keep your Bibles open, and I encourage you to do so, even when it's little little texts like this one, it's, it's valuable to be looking into the scripture there and see what's buried in even a verse or two. Um, you can see here, it's in the promise that's affixed to this command. By the way, this is the only one of the commandments that has a promise attached to it. That alone is informative. And the promise is all about the future, right? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. Listen, Satan hates your family, okay? I don't know if you think the devil is a real thing. The Bible does, so I do. And I'm telling you that the devil hates your family because the family determines the future. You think it through. Ruin one family. Say you got uh, four kids. Just imagine you had four kids. (laughs) Ruin one family You just ruined five families, right? Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land. That's why the the, the second table, this one gets the priority because the basic building block of society, it's referenced here before lying, before theft, before murder, (laughs) John Calvin, who never said something softly when he could say it strongly, he once said this, nature itself ought to teach us the importance of this command. Those who abusively or stubbornly violate parental authority are monsters, not men. Those who are disobedient to their parents refuse to recognize those whose efforts brought them into the light of day. Therefore, they are not worthy of its benefits. You know, Paul, he wrote to the Romans, and in chapter 1, he's talking about people who are, quote, filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They, well, at least someone over here knows Romans 1. They disobey their parents. That's what it says. And we think to ourselves, Wait a second, Paul. I mean, compared to murder, slander, and malice, is the parent thing really all that bad? And then you flip forward a few more books to 1 Timothy, and it says almost the exact same thing again. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. The point is, 
that God seems to view honor to parents as so fundamental to everything in society that when it begins to unravel, everything begins to unravel. And it's because how we respond to our parents will be indicative of how we respond to our creator. I just showed you the summary data that affirms that you and I live in the most post-Christian region of our country where almost on a daily basis, maybe on a daily basis, we are faced with the question, is the institution of the family a byproduct of human social evolution or is it a covenantal act of a holy God? This is the question before us, right? If it's, 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 it's the basic question, if we're, if we're a byproduct of human social evolution, well, then, then I can evolve past the family. And we live in an age, I don't need to tell you guys, where many are trying to evolve past it. In New England, the biblical model of a mom and a dad and their kids has been often determined to be outmoded at best one option among many options, which means, Begg suggests, our society is much like an overused school bus filled with people sitting on the side of the highway, door hanging off the hinges, windows smashed and broken, tires bald and flat, steam rising up from the radiator. Someone in the back of the bus stands up and says, hey, do you think we should consult the owner's manual at all and try and get this thing going? And everybody else responds, oh, don't be ridiculous. We're fine. We don't need to go anywhere else. We're doing well. Folks, we need the owner's manual. You and I are saved through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone to be Christians. And that means that the law of God is the thing that comes into our lives and it gives shape to the Christian life. It's not enough to say, love God, love others. What does that mean? What does it look like in real time? That's what the moral law gives us. It informs the shape of the Christian life. Now, some of you have moms and dads who fulfill both roles, which is a mighty act to take upon, and you are worthy of double honor for doing it. I think we can say that ideally God suggests homes have a father and a mother. This is noteworthy because the Mosaic law was written and it was given in a time and a place where women and moms were considered vastly inferior to men and dads. And yet, on God's org chart here, <laughs> he has seems to elevate the role of moms to be the same as that of dads, equal, uh, of, of equal honor, I should say. And then he commands parents to receive from their children honor. The, the Hebrew word is kabed. It literally translates out to be heavy. To kabed mom and dad means to regard them with a weight of dignity. You've heard a mom say to her kid, you are not treating me with an ounce of of respect. That is obviously a mom who has studied Hebrew. <laughs> she understands the point here. A ton 
of respect is required for your parents. You might say this is a heavy-duty command. I'm sorry, I've worked with Pastor Carl for like seven years. (laughs) It just rubs off on you after a little while. So that's the Hebrew. Do you guys know what the Septuagint is? Um, It's the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew. And um, in there, this word for honor, it's not kabed, it's temeo. It means to fix a right evaluation upon one's worth. Um, If you ever watch The Price is Right, it's all about temeo, right? The jet ski, the desk lamp, the coffee pot, you got to assume, you got to assess the value of this thing. And and what they're saying here with the word temeo is we need to make it a right and an accurate assessment of our parents' worth. To honor our parents is not bound up in how much we like them or, or how in touch they are. It's to make a right assessment of their kabed and tameo, their weight and their worth of dignity and value. This command has implications for all ages, but let me just take a second and talk to kids Um, I think we keep sixth grade. No, this summer we got fifth grade and up in here, right? So kids, teenagers, college students, can can I just say to you, not so much as trying to come beside you as a dad, but maybe as a big brother, can I say to you, there's nobody on this planet who loves you more than your mom or your dad. Not your pastor. I love you but not that much. (laughs) Not your friends. I know when you're young, it seems like our friends are so important, and they are. But there is nobody on this planet. We live in a broken world. There's exceptions, of course. But for the, the vast majority of us, nobody in the world loves you more than your mom and your dad, nobody in the world wants good for you more than your mom and your dad. That's why they ask of you what they ask. Will they get it right every time? Not every time. But it is why they ask of you what they ask. It's why they forbid what they forbid because they want what is good for you. So honor them. Trust them. And when we're young, obey them. When moms and dads speak to you, make eye contact every time. When you speak to your parents, do not address them like a member of your kickball team and a member that you don't particularly like all that much. When you call them up and ask for a ride, do not speak to them as if they're some dreadful cab driver who ought to be thankful for the business that you're giving them. And yes, that can come across in a text as well. (laughs) Honor them. Respect them. Love them. Parents, sit down with your kids and explain to them, Honey, I love you. That's why these are going to be your fences for the year 2017. You're going to live inside this box. Inside this box is screen time, and bedtime, and expectations for homework, 
and a thousand other things that we're working out as a family. It's right here in this box for 2017. And if you honor these fences for 2017, then when we get to 2018, we're going to enlarge these fences. And if you do not honor these fences, we're not going to enlarge them. In fact, we might actually have to shrink them a little bit because we love you and we want what is good for you. Kids, understand when you're talking to your parents, when you're talking really to any authority, you don't get the last word. They get the last word. I was talking to, uh, I discussed with the staff different implications and applications of these commandments as we're rolling through. And they're like, so what what do we need to hear as as a church? First thing that came out, how many of our kids seem to think they need to have the last word. If it's in kick, if it's in youth group, if it's with their parents. Parents, teach your kids. They don't get the last word. You get the last word because you're the mom, because you're the dad, because you're worthy of honor and respect. Some of us didn't learn this as kids, right? Some of us grew up, we never learned it. So we were a pain in the butt when we were a kid. And now we're a pain in the butt in church. Because we never learned. We don't get the last word. The authority above us, whatever it may be, whoever it may be, gets the last word. This is actually a pretty big part of the commandment. You know, down through the ages, um, theologians, commentators, teachers, they've recognized, and we were reciting it there from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, that the fifth commandment is not primarily addressed to children, right? This is not as if we're just taking a break in the Ten Commandments and doing children's church for a minute. Okay, there's nine commandments for grown-ups and one for kids. That's not it. The fifth commandment is primarily for grown-ups before anyone else. There's a much larger application here. It's not just about kids. It's about kings. If you want some exegetical evidence for that, I can give you a few. Right now, Genesis 10, tribal heads are called fathers. Genesis 17, Abraham is called the father of many nations. 1 Samuel 24, David calls King Saul a father. And you'll remember King Saul was a pretty rotten guy. But David honored him just the same. Judges chapter 5, Deborah is called a mother of Israel. The point is that this command goes way beyond biological moms and dads because parents, what you display will inform how they obey. What you display will inform how they obey. The way that you reference your parents, mom and dad. The way that you talk about your pastors and your elders. The way you reference your boss. The way you talk about our president. All of that will inform the way your kids relate to their teachers, their coaches, and you. See, honor, kabed, it's something that begins internally and it manifests externally. You remember when Jesus said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So we praise God that we live in a country where we can disagree with our leaders. In fact, we have a solemn responsibility to do so at times. But if we take that as license to talk bitterly, pejoratively, or caustically 
about the authority structures in place above us, my friend, you are breaking the fifth commandment. And the solution here is not just keeping a better rein on your tongue. It's getting a little bit of redemption in your heart. So you see, no matter what our age, no matter what our life circumstance, when we look into the mirror of the law, we all find some dirt on our face here. It's all right. It's what the law is for. The law discovers the disease. The gospel conveys the cure. Amen? If you don't know that, that one might be worth writing down. The law discovers the disease. The gospel conveys the cure. So the question, how does the gospel apply specifically to the fifth commandment? Well, the good news of Jesus drives me, for instance, to Luke chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to leave Exodus behind and just go ahead and flip forward there. One of the gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 2. Because many people over the centuries, they've wanted to know, well, what exactly was Jesus like as a little kid? And we don't have a lot. We do have this interesting narrative in chapter 2 about Jesus' parents. They misplace him for a few days. You can read that uh, this afternoon. And if you've misplaced your kids for a few days, you can feel better about yourself. And then we come to Luke 2 at the end of all that in verse 51, and it says this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was what? To them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. If you read in ESV, it says submissive. If you're reading NIV, it says obedient. The point is, if you want a summary of Jesus' childhood, that's it. A perfect fulfillment of the fifth commandment. Which means... This is, this is big. A perfect fulfillment of the fifth commandment along with all the other nine means that when Jesus grew up, died on a cross, he died as one who had perfectly fulfilled the entire law. And now God, this is grace, this is the gospel, he takes that perfect fulfillment of the law and he applies it to you. He credits it to you as if you had perfectly fulfilled the law. And now he comes to you as his adopted child on that basis that you have been declared made righteous by virtue of what Christ did on your behalf. That's the gospel. So there was this, um, there was this father, I can't, I can't remember his name, but he wrote a little book, and he was a dad who got motion sickness all of the time, but he also had two boys who loved merry-go-rounds. <laughs> so like every time they found one, it's a challenge to his masculinity, right? So uh, there are one of the, these old-fashioned merry-go-rounds at a park, and the boys want to go on, and so he has to go on with them, and the operator is watching him, and he sees the signs, you know, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the man's face. And the operator, he invites him into the center of this old-fashioned merry-go-round, it has, and he shows them like the, you know, the power and the gears and the controls. And he wrote in this booklet how, you know, s- sitting in the center there, he, it was still turning, but it wasn't as bad. And then he says, 
That carousel from the center there, it was the first merry-go-round I'd ever been on where I felt at rest. Church, the beauty of God's law is that we don't get to tell God what we think we want and what we've determined that we need and how God ought to make everything else, the center, us the center of it all. Instead, the law points us to Christ and it invites us to make him the center. And when we do that, we find rest. You know, obeying our parents as we age and we grow up, that will fade away. Honoring our parents never does, much like honoring our God never does. Some of us need to do better with this one. Some of us kids, some of us grown-ups. Parents, remember, what you display will inform how they obey. And I know that some of us didn't have parents, and some of us didn't have good parents. I know that. Again, we live in a broken world, but I'm so grateful for Psalm 68, where God promises that he will be a father to the fatherless. I also know that in this church, a great many of us had really excellent moms and dads. And so maybe today's an afternoon where we need to take a minute and go home and give them a call and say, Dad, thank you for being a good dad. Mom, you are a wonderful mom. You say to me, well, Trav, I don't have that opportunity anymore. Okay. Then can I encourage you to get down on your knees today and praise God for the parents that you did have. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.